Well, uh, happy Father's Day. Um, we know being a father is not easy, but we just want to tell you today, Dad, you got this. You, you can do this. At least that's what God, I know, thinks of you. Otherwise, he wouldn't have chosen you to be the father that you are. So he obviously thinks that of you. Uh, I can remember the first, um, really the first night of feeling as though um, I, I didn't have this when I became a, a dad. It was the, the very first day after um, Brianna was born. She was born on December uh, 14th, uh, 2000, and um, uh, we were taking her home on December uh, 15th of uh, obviously that same year. Six pounds, five ounces. She was born at 11.32 the night before, and uh, mom was out getting checked up. We're at the hospital. Mom was out getting checked up, and um, I was getting ready to take, we were getting ready to take Brianna home, and I remember holding her in my arms. And for the first time, uh, my eyes kind of locked into her eyes, and, and I think she was probably checking me out as much as I was checking her out as we were looking at each other. And I looked at her, and, and, then, and then her eyes looked back up at me, and they went cross-eyed like that. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I am not sure I got this, and I wish I had someone here to tell me, you got this. Um, because uh, people have been saying, you know, your life is going to change, your life is going to change, your life is going to change, and certainly on that night, it did. And I know all of you who have been fathers, our fathers, uh, you know that your life changes forever at that kind of a time. And why I didn't know how much it would, and I didn't know even in some places of how much it would, or where it would, or in what ways. And so today, what I want to share with you is, uh, first of all, dads, we got this, all right? We, we can do this. And it's, it's for those of you here today who, um, let me say it this way, we want you to know your Heavenly Father is, is your guiding force. He is the one who is showing you that you've got this. And so even if maybe you did not have a godly father as you'd hope that you would, even though you may look and not have a great relationship with your earthly father, I pray that today um, we can lock into God as our Heavenly Father. And so this is for, you know, whether you are a first-time dad or whether you've been a dad for 60, 70, 80 years already or whether you um, uh, are not a dad yet but maybe at some point, sometime, or even for you ladies who are the ones to tell us when we're panicking, hey, you got this, you can do this, you can do this. The idea is let's keep our eyes focused on our Heavenly Father. Let's imitate Him and what He does. Let's imitate Him and who He is in modeling that for us. And uh, so, you know, a, a few years ago, I was privileged to get to speak in here over a summer message series uh, talking about the names of God, some of the Old Testament names of God that we went through. And they were God, names in the Old Testament that God gave himself to represent who he is. And so, you know, there were names such as Jehovah Shammah, which means God is uh, the Lord who is there. He is always present. And Jehovah Nisi, which means um, the Lord is my banner. He's my protector. And Jehovah Rohi, which means he is my shepherd. And Jehovah Rapha, he is my healer. And uh, Jehovah Jireh, he is my provider. And those are all Old Testament names that God gave himself to name himself to give characteristics of who he is and how much he provides and loves us. And yet, the New Testament name that God chose for himself, the one that is most recognizable by all of us, is probably God as our heavenly what? Our heavenly 
Father. Yeah, our Heavenly Father. And so while in the Old Testament we have this, this idea of God of being this judge and God of being this king, as the New Testament, he's a loving Father who will do anything to be in a relationship with us, to come down to earth, to die for us, to be in relationship with us. And so that name that reveals this close, intimate relationship is Abba Father. And you have that at the top of your outline. It's in that box. The name Abba Father, which literally means daddy or papa. That's what the intimacy of that name means in the New Testament. And so while in the Old Testament has this sense of honor and reverence and majesty to approach the king's throne, the New Testament has this picture of us running past the guards through the front gates of the palace, uh, uh, into the palace, down the long red carpet, uh, hopping up on the throne, jumping into the king's lap and calling him Daddy. Papa, just kind of chilling with my daddy, the king, is really kind of what, what that New Testament word, Papa, or Abba, Father, Daddy, means. And you can see this in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. In fact, you have that verse there on your outline, or you have it up here on the screen. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, that we have nothing to fear now. And, and, and we're not slaves to this, to this owner, someone who owns us. He says, Paul says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And there's the phrase, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And because we are children, there is nothing that we can do that will allow God to disown us. We're in relationship with him. He he is our, now our, our, our blood relationship as much as a biological father. Even though we talked about an adopted father there, he is now our biological father, our spiritual father, who will never let us go. Never let us go. You know, the NBA finals are going on right now, and I remember um, as we were watching some of them, the, uh, the name, some of you recognize this picture, is one of the most uh, decorated sports athletes, uh, 50 greatest NBA players, Shaquille O'Neal, played for the Orlando Magic and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Sun, some other teams like that, Miami Heat. Um, you know, Shaquille, I remember hearing a story about him a number of years ago when he was in the news and winning world championships that he, he did not know and still does not to this day know his biological father. Although with his fame, his biological father has stepped up. It's a man by the name of Joseph Tooney. Um, but um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's mother remarried when he was just very, very little. And um, the gentleman who she remarried is really Shaquille, who he would say is my real father. Um, Shaquille O'Neal has never said hello to his biological father. He's never spoken to him. He's never met him. And, and it's not by accident because when his father stepped out of his life at about six months of age, Shaquille O'Neal really says he treats his father as though he's dead, his biological father, as though he is dead. When he was asked one time during some interviews when he was um, uh, playing for the Lakers, um, you know, Shaquille often has this big white grin and it's very recognizable by many people, but when he was asked about his father, his grin went down to nothing and he got stone-faced and he said, that man doesn't even exist. I don't answer that biological man. He's not even in my life. He never will be. 
And when there was kind of some dialogue about him meeting his father or not, his biological father says, you know, I still feel as though I'm a part of creating one of the greatest athletes in the world. And yet his adoptive father said, yeah, but he left him. He left him. I mean, think about that. He left him. And it's unfortunate because Shaquille really bears that, 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 that burden and he feels that, that I, I think you can read through the lines of kind of a, a sense of you abandoned me and so I'm not even a part of what your, your life and you're not going to be a part of mine. And yet today we can talk about this and I don't know how many of you had uh, a tough situation like that or how many of you may, may bear some of those burdens of, of feeling as though your earthly father has not lived up to the expectations. Today as we talk about this, no, that God is your father. He will always be your father. He will never ever leave you. He will never forsake you. It does not matter what earthly fathers have done, but he represents the perfect father in our lives. And if you don't know your biological father or you've had kind of a tough time with him, we can look at this and say God is our heavenly father and he will always 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 be there for us amen amen Amen. and so you know as we are earthly fathers and some of us will be you know able to admit that we are not perfect and and we need help in this endeavor as well i wrote down just four quick things that we can look to our heavenly father about and realize that if we begin to do these things, we will be better earthly fathers as well. And so again, if you are here for the first time and you are a father for first Father's Day, or if you've, this is your 80th Father's Day that you've been around and been with us and heard these messages, let's look to God and say, God, how can you be our Heavenly Father and teach me more things about being a godly father or godly grandfather or whoever is in my life so that I may bless them. And so the first thing I wrote down was this, is that our Our Heavenly Father longs for us to imitate Him. He longs for us to imitate Him. You know, I I saw this just when my daughter's probably eight months old, all the way up to two years of age. Um, The way that I would play with her is how she would begin to play with her dolls at home. I mean, I would, I would, you know, be walking my daughter like this, holding her fingers and walking her like this. And that's exactly what I would look over and see my daughter doing with her dolls. One time I remember getting on the floor and I would often roll over with her and kiss her and smother her with kisses. And I remember looking over at her and my daughter had her doll on the floor, face like this, like I would often do with my, my daughter and rolling over and giving her kiss. They, they, they imitate us. They see what we do. They want to be like us if we're in their lives. Dad, you have to know that, that your kids imitate you for good or for bad. Unfortunately, on the bad side too. They, 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 they imitate us. Growing up, my, my dad was my hero. I was extremely blessed to have a dad who was in my life and involved in my life and wanted to be very involved in my life. Um, I wanted to imitate him in sports. I wanted to spend time with him. I I wanted to go into the same profession of teaching that he went into. Uh, I I wanted to to imitate him being a a man of God like like he had modeled for me all those years. And now that I look at this and, and am a father, I want those same kind of things for my children. I want them to be able to imitate me so that they can see God in me and want to imitate him. 
I want them to imitate and value my relationship with God. I want them to imitate the fact that I honor God's word and read God's word and time and prayer. I want them to see that I value their mother. I want them to see that I value family time and time together as a family. I I want them to see that I want to place people first, other people first. I mean, you don't have to go much farther than the way, think about this now, the way you drive and the way and the things that you say when you're driving your kids pick up on that, don't they? Yeah, and now I have a teenager and a preteen, and I'm already having to back off the gas just a little bit because they're looking over and seeing how fast I'm driving as I'm going. They are. They're, they're seeing that. And I want my daughter to drive like I drive. I, I mean, even a phone. I didn't realize until just a few months ago that you can't even touch your phone in your car. You're not supposed to have your phone in your hand at all, even when it's just your map. You're not supposed to have it. And I, you know, I want my daughter to follow that rule. I have to follow that rule. Our kids imitate us in the little things and the big things and the spiritual things. And what I want my kids to see is that whatever is good in me comes from God, whom I want to imitate, and is multiplied in God. It's perfected in God. He's the one who sets the standard. In fact, look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore be, and here's the word, what does it say there? Therefore be what? imitators of God as beloved children. Our responsibility is to imitate our father. And as we imitate him, our children can imitate us when they're little, but eventually then they begin to imitate God because that's who it comes from. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be that kind of an imitator. In fact, we should smell good when we are with God because God smells good. He's that fragrant offering, isn't it? In fact, take a moment, lean over, smell your neighbor, see if he smells like Jesus, all right? Go ahead. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. How is it? How is it? How is it? All right. All right, okay. No, but, but we should. When we leave this place on Sunday morning, we should smell more like God than when we came in here. We should be that fragrant offering. We should smell, we should imitate him. When you're with somebody who smells good, you gain that smell from them. Look at Matthew 5. It says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now I know that's a high standard. And some people will look at that and say, well, we can't even be this. What he's talking about here is being holy as God is holy. Trying to get to that place. Getting to that place where, where God, all the good in me is from you. You say, well, I can't even do it, so I won't even try. That would be a little bit like if you were an archer pointing at a target. Saying, well, you know what? I can't hit the bullseye, so I'm just not even going to try to hit the target. That's not what we want. I mean, aim for the middle, aim for the perfection, aim for the holiness. If we miss it, that's all right. We're still doing our best, but we're trying as our heavenly father is perfect. We want to try and be perfect as well. We want to be little Christs. We want to be Christians. You know what that word means? Christian means little Christ. We want to be people who imitate Christ in all that we do what we say. In fact, that's why Pastor Mike talked about the mission trip that we have. For about four or five years now, we have gone on a family mission trip. And I've always helped lead that. And Pastor Scott and I have partnered together in that. This year, I was not able to go on that trip. But he's down there right now with a number of families. Um, and, and, and one of the main reasons we do that is because we bring our children along on that trip so that they can see us love Christ and serve on the mission field and that they get it. 
They understand it so that when they grow up, they have that in their life and they see ways that we honor God. We need to be the ones who walk like Jesus. We need to be the ones who smell like Jesus and imitate God in doing that. Our Heavenly Father longs for us to do that. And as you as earthly fathers would do that, you will be so much better. We will be so much better examples for our kids. Let me give you a second thing that I've observed that our Heavenly Father does that He wants us to do as well. Our Heavenly Father, I wrote down, disciplines us because He loves us. He disciplines us because He loves us. It is not fun to discipline, is it? I mean, it's so much more fun not to have to do that. In fact, I think you grandparents like that, huh? You, you, love, you don't have to be the disciplinarians. You can give them sugar and red punch and all the rest and send them back to parents, right? There you go. Have fun. No, but it, it, it's hard to discipline. It's not fun to discipline. I have to discipline my children because I know they need it. It would be easier for me not to have to do that. But fathers, we need to be that type of disciplinarian. We, we have to be consistent in that. Because the child who doesn't get corrected when he starts saying, mine, 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 and grabbing, this is mine, this is mine, grows up to think he can also cheat in class. And the child who cheats in class and does what he wants and gets away with it grows up to say, that's mine, that's mine, and grows up to shoplift. And the shoplifter grows up and goes on and on and on when we're not corrected at a young age to say they need to be disciplined. In fact, a father, the Bible would say, who doesn't take the time to discipline, doesn't love their child. Watch this. It's in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. It says, whoever spares the rod, now I'm not talking about any hot rods like on the oak tree, right? Spare the rod. Our kids might try and play that one on us every now and then, but no, that's not what it means. It means the disciplinarian, whoever spares the rod, hates his child, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to, what's the word there? To discipline him. Absolutely. In fact, you know, God disciplines us as well. We see that throughout Scripture. Again, that's the model that we work off of. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up in the Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to just kind of read through a story and tell you about a story in Scripture where we see God discipline having to make a tough decision about one of his servants first samuel chapter 15 is a time when the lord has to reject saul and in this passage we see samuel who has come and is kind of a prophet speaking to saul and he says this in verse 3 says now go and strike amalek and devote to destruction all that they have take care of this land take care of these evil, evil people the amalekites And devote to destruction, kill and destroy everything that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Go down to verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the ox and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. There's the disobedience. There's where they stepped in and did what they wanted to do. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, said, I regret that I have made Saul king, 
For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Go to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be to you, the Lord, uh, to the Lord. I perform the commandment of the Lord. In fact, he's saying, I've done it. I've done what the Lord wanted me to do. But verse 14, Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen? that I hear. Oops is right. Verse 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Now, now again here, Saul in some ways, I don't know if he's really playing this up or if he's just saying this, but he's saying, well, well, well we brought them for the Lord. That's not what God said though, did he? He said, destroy them all. Well, Saul's saying, well, we're, we're going to sacrifice them to God. No. Obedience. It depends. God wants us to be obedient, to listen, to hear his command, and to do exactly as he says. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Verse 19. He says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Malak. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does he care as much about those sacrifices as your obedience to him? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In fact, in verse then 26, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. I mean, what a step of discipline, even that God had to step in there and, and, and do. And then at the end of this passage, right before chapter 16, it says in verse 35, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In fact, if you have the NIV, it says the Lord grieved. He grieved that he made Saul king because of his disobedience. And the Lord saw this as a big enough of a disobedience that Saul had done to say, we can't do this. We can go no farther. And he had to step in and discipline him in that way. It hurts the discipline. Uh, immensely, but it is so needed. In fact, that discipline, though, builds character. And so, dads, I want to challenge you. In fact, grandparents, if you're in charge of your children, I want to challenge you as well. We need to be the ones to leading in that discipline. Of course, we talked it over with our wives. Of course, we talked it over and understand, okay, how should we do this and do this best? Let's get on the same page if, if, if their mom is in the picture as well. But we need to be the ones leading in discipline and to do it and to do it swiftly and do it correctly to help them to see God is a God of discipline as well and he wants the very best for us. In fact, that kind of goes into the next a characteristic that we can look at with our Heavenly Father, and that is this, that our Heavenly Father compassionately 
forgives us when we sin. Now, we still face the consequences, as we should still face the consequences. That's how we understand consequences. But we have a Heavenly Father who forgives us, who forgives us when we sin. In fact, look what it says in Psalm 103, verse 12 and 13. It says, as far as the east is from the west, Pastor Stephen read this passage earlier, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions or our sins from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, who honor him, who revere him, who call him holy and desire that kind of relationship. The Hebrew word that we see in here for compassion brings with it this strong and this deep sense of emotion and feeling. It's not a flippant kind of, well, that's okay, son, you'll get it better next time. It's a strong sense of feelings and emotions that carry with it a compassion, a love that offers forgiveness to to our children. And God is a God who says, I will forgive, I will forgive, I will forgive, I will forgive. In fact, he forgives us infinitely until, until honestly he comes again. I mean, you see this in the Old Testament where we offer sacrifices, burnt offerings to offer that forgiveness, to gain that forgiveness from God. And then the New Testament obviously gives his son Jesus to be our sin sacrifice, that we just have to have that blood of Jesus upon us and receive him into our hearts. And God is continuing to be a God who forgives. He understands when we falter. He doesn't like it. He doesn't approve of it. He sometimes allows those consequences to, to, to reap their benefits in our lives, to build character in our lives. He forgives until he comes again. And at that time, all of us who, those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior will ultimately be forgiven and will join with him. But all those who don't, the forgiveness and the penalty of that, that stops. The forgiveness stops. And hell awaits those who do not have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's why the love, I pray that God's love for us will grow and grow as it does each and every day for us. He loves us more and more and more and more until the time he comes. And then he calls us home. And to those who do not have Jesus in their lives, he has to say, I did not know you. I was never your father. I was never your heavenly father. But our father forgives us. And so we likewise need to model that kind of forgiveness. And we could talk more and more about this, but I just want to encourage you, strive for that perfection, but accept his grace when he gives it to us and use those teaching moments to model that for our children as well, dads. We're not perfect. Our kids know that. We can use those as teaching moments to say, honey or son, would you or daughter, would you forgive me even as I work at my forgiveness of you in life? Let's go on to the last point though, and that's this. Our heavenly father, Our Heavenly Father loves to bless us. That's what I love to end on. That He loves to bless us. Yes, we we go through tough times. And yes, He disciplines us. And yes, he, He compassionately forgives us. But He is a God who loves to bless us. 
A few weeks ago, um, I shared this story uh, with our 8th graders at the 8th grade graduation here from First Baptist Christian School, and we had two whole rows in these first rows of, of students who were there, 8th graders getting ready to go into um, high school. And it's a story about a relationship between a father and a son at graduation time. This was in uh, Chuck Swindoll's book, The Finishing Touch. He talks about this as a story he read from Dear Abby, and here's what he puts into the, to his book. He says, there was a Dear Abby story um, in the newspaper that was a very poignant story. It's about a young boy who was from a wealthy family and was about to graduate um, from high school. Now, as he was getting ready to graduate from high school, as often was the custom in this city, many times fathers would go with their sons to purchase a new car for them. And so dad wanted to do that with his son. So dad and son went out looking for cars for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, about a week before the son was to graduate, they had settled on a car. The son thought they had settled upon a car that he would have for him, sure that he would have it for him in the driveway on the morning of his graduation. However, on the day that his son graduated, um, dad only gave his son a small box. And his father gave it to his son to have him open up. The son opened it up to find out that there was a Bible in the box. The son was angry. The son thought that he had done everything right. The son thought that it was owed to him that his father would buy him the car as other kids have. In fact, he became embarrassed, belligerent, figuring that nobody would look at him with respect because he didn't have the car and the approval that his father thought should be given to him and he took the bible and he threw it across the room and he walked out the door dear abby writes about unfortunately that that father and that son never saw each other again in fact son left the home left the city didn't want to have anything to do with his father didn't want to be you know kind of feeling the sense of 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 his uh dad not blessing him or feeling like his dad did not bless him and so he was overcome with um just a sense of i'm out of here Much like the prodigal son, if you want to look at it that way. Well, news came to him years later that his father had passed away. And so son went home to his um, dad's estate where he was going to receive some of his inheritance. And he happened to find in his dad's home a box with some belongings in it. And as he opened up the box, he went through some of the belongings. And he found the Bible that his dad had given to him on that graduation morning. As the son began to thumb through the Bible, dust was on it, and he cracked it open, and all of a sudden, a piece of paper fell out from the pages of the Bible onto his lap, which was a cashier's check in the exact amount of, for the car that they had been looking at that the son was going to receive from his father. Dad obviously didn't want to correct the where the father or the son was going because he didn't think that he deserved the car at that point with that kind of an attitude. And I, I told this story to our graduates. And I looked down at them and I said, do you know the moral of this story? I said, the moral of the story is read your Bible. It's really what it starts with, right? Open it up and read it. No, but I said, you're not entitled. But you have a father who wants to bless I said, you know, you guys aren't getting cars, and I don't know if you ever will get a car. That's not the point. 
The point is that you have a heavenly father who wants to bless you. And it may not be just in those types of ways. In fact, he may bless you because he doesn't give you a car. He might teach you more about hard work and other things like that. We don't know how God's going to bless or how he's not going to bless. But what we do know is this, is that when we open up God's word, we see the blessings that he wants to give us. We see the value of his teachings on us. We see the eternal life that he blesses us with as well. And so fathers, dads, we need to be the ones to open up those pages and read those blessings for ourselves and then turn to our children and say you get those same kind of blessings in your life as well when you have a relationship with Jesus and our children need to know that we love them our children need to know that we bless them when we feel blessed by our heavenly father we turn those blessings over to our children Our children need to know that we bless them. Our children need to know that we believe in them. Our children need to know, even when we turn to them and say, as the video was showing, hey, you got this. You got this. You can do this. I was speaking with a a good friend this last week who, uh, who I knew had kind of a rocky relationship with his father as he was growing up. And, um, I, I just was talking to him a little bit about it. He, he said, yeah, you know, my dad wasn't a Christian, he never felt blessed by his father. And he said, these were his exact words. I just heard him this week from him. He said, I longed to hear my dad say, son, you have what it takes. In other words, just like the video was showing, to have a dad look down and say, hey, you got this. You got this. He said, I never got that from my dad. Now today, this friend of mine, he, he's a Christ follower. And he says, even though I never heard those words of blessing from my earthly father, I have heard them and received them from my heavenly father. In fact, I've been overwhelmed at how much I know my heavenly father loves me. And it's interesting now because I remember this. I was thinking about visiting, uh, or I was in the hospital with my daughter, bringing her home. I remember visiting him and his wife as they were leaving the hospital. I'd heard that they had their baby, and so I went to visit them on that day. And as I walked in their hospital room, the very first thing he told me as he sat there holding his daughter, as he said, I'm going to tell her every day that I love her. I'm going to tell her every day that I believe in her. See, he was using what maybe he never had in his life from his earthly father because he knew his heavenly father blessed him. And he wanted her to know that her earthly father believes in him and he wanted her to know that her heavenly father believes in, him as well, in her as well. And so, dads, just let me encourage you in this. You got this. You can do this. And maybe you have never spoke that blessing into your son or daughter's life. Never. Maybe never. I'd encourage you on this day, pick up the phone, or, or even if they're sitting right here beside you today, to look them in your eye, their eyes and say, I love you. I love you. And every time you see them, Say, I love you. Maybe you've never had that from your earthly father. Women, men. But you look into this word. That's what this word says. It says, I love you. It says, I love you. It says, I love you. You know what else it says? It says, you got this. I believe in you. You can do this. And so again, let me encourage you, dads, breathe that life into your children. Breathe that life into your grandchildren. If they're not living, you know, you take that, maybe you breathe that into some other child in your neighborhood or some other relative that you have. 
But your heavenly Father, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he wants you to imitate him. He wants you to do as he does. And as you do, you will be a blessing to others. Dad, you got this.